Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Albert Oligi from London. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already. And please share with your friends, family, and colleagues. It makes a huge difference indeed. So today we are talking about affordable eye care and how it's an economic challenge, not just a health issue. And um, and many of you may not know this, but actually there are about over 2 billion, 2.2 billion people who struggle with poor vision around the world, many in the global south. And so we're going to be looking at that as a thematic area within a context of, let's say, the spirit of moonshot philanthropy. Let's really think uh, big and globally and uh, and try to transform things. So in order to help us out with all of these things, we have the absolute pleasure of welcoming onto the show James Chen, who is a philanthropist, who has a global outlook, and who's done a great deal for improving uh, the state of affairs within the world of affordable vision globally. Uh, he's worked uh, and founded the Clearly Campaign, uh, Vision for a Nation Foundation, and many other things. So he's someone who has done a lot and many different initiatives. So I think maybe it's sensible to start by finding out a little bit about you, James. Uh, welcome onto the Do One Better podcast and tell us a little bit about your background. Well, first of all, thank you for having me, Alberto. And it's a pleasure to be on your show. Uh, well, I guess um, I, I would describe myself as perhaps a first-generation global nomad. And by that, I mean that at the age of three, I, uh, I left Hong Kong with my, with my parents uh, for Nigeria, where our family business uh, is, is, has been based for more than 50 years now. Uh, and, uh, and so from this very early age, uh, you know, grew up in a, in a developing country. Um, uh, uh, then at the age of 10, went for boarding school in England, uh, followed by high school and university in the U.S., then back to Asia uh, uh, for my uh, developing Asia for my early career. So, so it's been. Uh, uh, I feel very blessed to have had you know all these uh, experiences, really from such an early age, and uh, and it's you know so it it left a very deep impression on me about the north and south, developed, undeveloped, and uh, and some of the you know inequities and and, and issues around the. Uh, 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 around the world yeah fascinating and moonshot philanthropy i know you embrace that uh the notion of moonshot philanthropy wholeheartedly why do you espouse that what drove you to it well it's uh i guess that this moonshot philanthropy is a, a, a term that that my colleagues and i coined uh to try to encapsulate the journey i call it a journey that i've been on over the last uh, almost two decades uh pursuing you know, I guess some would say single-mindedly pursuing this issue of of access to vision correction, and uh, and uh, I guess that's kind of unusual. You know, in the philanthropic world, uh, if you make a commitment for three to five years, that's considered long term. But uh, you know, what I think uh, uh, the world has, uh, some of the research around the world has shown is that to really solve problems, you know, you really need to dedicate. Uh, more than a decade, right? And sometimes multiple decades uh, focused to really, I, you know, it's, it's simple. It's, it's really like becoming, uh, develop some expertise, you know, domain expertise around the issue. It just takes time, right? And I think most of us, uh, uh, you know, in philanthropy, 
you you go into it at least on the donor side not necessarily knowing much about an issue but you know it's the it's the uh that journey and trying particularly you know high risk type of uh ideas right and learning from both the successes but more importantly from the failures right and and so you know taking risk uh perseverance and then with a goal of developing domain expertise those are the three hallmarks of a, of of a, of a moonshot philanthropic approach to to solving some of the challenges the world faces today excellent now you wear eyeglasses i wear eyeglasses i think it's safe to say we're both fortunate that we can simply go down to the high street get whatever prescription we want and walk away with just the perfect frames to fit our face and frame and, and, and be very happy and productive. Now, you mentioned the word challenge a minute ago. And, um, and I know the area you're tackling is eye care and affordable eye care and viewing that as an economic challenge. Because actually, it's not just blindness, but also the notion that many people simply don't have access to somebody who can diagnose them and write a prescription and uh, and have access to the the distribution channels that would enable them to get their hands on eyeglasses. So what's the state of affairs right now globally on this front? Yes, so thank you. That's a great lead in uh, because that's that is, this is the crux of the issue I've been pursuing for the last two decades or so, which is, uh, you know, as you say, it's obvious, right, to many of us in the developing world, in the developed world, that you know, we go down the high street and we can get these, uh, uh, you know, a, 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 a quote simple eye test, and then you you know uh, the glasses or contact lens or whatever to correct your vision. But actually, it, what it turns out to be is that this model, which is a uh, you know somewhat you know unique in the in the I guess in the healthcare arena, that uh, uh, it is driven by private enterprise, you know, that the fact that it is in shopping malls, you know, and high street uh, retail, right, for, for optometrists to deliver that, that eye care to you, right, that's a, that's, that's, in a way, it's a, it's, it's, it, it is a, uh, it is a success as a private enterprise success, right, market success. But the flip side of that is that it's a model that only works in, uh, in a high resource environments, you know, in, in the developed world, people can afford to pay you know, uh, uh, high prices for, for glasses, right? But the glasses themselves are really not necessarily that expensive, right, to produce, you know? And, and, and uh, so, so the challenge is, is there ability to, to, to develop a model that works not just for the, you know, high resource environment, but that works for low resource developing world environments, particularly in rural areas of the world, right? Where, where you, where distribution is a, is a major challenge, the cost and just moving products and the cost of moving products is a problem. So that's been the the challenge of getting you know uh, access to vision correction, right? Is, is 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 the ability to get an eye test and then to get you know uh, the correction. And for most people, that means it's a it's just a pair of glasses, which coincident, you know, by the way, was was developed through 700 years ago so it's a technology that you know was that was cutting edge technology 700 years ago uh, and yet you know two thirds of the world still still does not have access to this technology mm, that's incredible now you've had a lot of success driving this forward globally and we can touch on that but 
I know also if we're getting quite specific into, say, the country level, Rwanda is, is, a, is a great example of work that you've done in conjunction with the government over there to really transform the system and the access to affordable uh, eye care and eyeglasses. What's that look like? Um, what did it look like before you showed up on the scene? And uh, how did you familiarize yourself with all the dynamics? And how did things get transformed to their current state? And what does that current state look like? So, you know, I, in the initial period I was working on this issue, you know, it seemed obvious to me that this is a problem. Uh, uh, as you said, you know, you and I both are wearing glasses, right? And, and every morning that I get up, you know, my vision is blurry and until I put on my glasses and, you know, it's a miracle, everything is clear, right? And you think about it, something very basic, like you, you get up, you, you know, I don't know, you, you might, you would probably experience this too. It's just an annoying inconvenience. You know, you might uh, not be able to uh, read the paper in the morning or, uh, or, uh, or, or then, you know, drive, you know, You'd be, you could drive the car, but you'd be a, a danger to yourself and, and those on the road if you, were, if you needed, you know, you had blurry vision and, and you didn't have glasses, right? So, so, so much of, of, of everyday life, right? For those of us who need glasses, you know, it's a, a basic, uh, uh, we don't, we, it's so basic that we don't necessarily even think about it. But for so many in the world, it, it doesn't happen that way. In a place like Rwanda, and, and this applies to all, probably every developing country in the world. You will have, you know, uh, eyeglass stores in the capital cities, which will service only the, maybe the top 1% of the population, right? But the other 99% do not have access to uh, vision correction and their glasses. And so this is the challenge we faced in Rwanda. Uh, and so we took, uh, we said, you know, we just, what, you know, when we spoke to the, to the development world, and when we spoke to to the professional eye community, you know, is it, no, no, this cannot be done because, as I mentioned earlier, the model only works with high resources, right? People who can afford to, you know, pay high rent in a in a shopping mall, you know, and then, uh, uh, you know, go for training as an eye doctor for four or five years, and then uh, and then have all these uh, uh, glasses that are then customized to 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 each individual that comes in, right? So those are very high cost items. So in a place of, like Rwanda, you know, we had to really re-engineer that whole that whole process, if you will. And uh, so what we did, the, the key thing was we we commissioned a new protocol to train nurses, right, to do this kind of a, a very basic assessment, and they could be trained in three days, right, and then and then uh, once they were trained and they would go out and, and test people's eyes. And then if those people needed glasses, they could then instantly prescribe, prescribe it for them, right? And, and, and it's very simple and effective, and it showed to be very effective. And so uh, Rwanda today is the first country in the developing world which uh, has, ha has a, a fully functioning uh, uh, eye screening service and access to glasses for those who need it. I imagine perhaps there are things you could do to streamline the training so that at least they, they're able to provide a more basic service and, and really cover, say, 90% or the bulk of, of what's needed. Yes, that, 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 that's it. And, and I, you know, in, uh, in the, the, the optometrists you, 
you see in in the in the high street store uh, has had four or five years of university level training, and I think that was one of the key roadblocks. Uh, and uh, you know what we what we able to do in Rwanda was do this three day nurses training, which was not perfect, okay, but it was good enough. And I think that's one of the key lessons that I've learned. And I think this applies to not only in glasses, vision, but across a lot of, I found out that across a lot of health areas is that, you know, the perfection can be the enemy of the good enough. And, uh, and so, you know, what we were striving for is good enough, good enough, meaning that you, you allow someone to become more functional again, right? Just correcting basic vision. We're not correcting everything. There's lots of conditions in the eye. That's why it does take four or five years to become a very highly trained professional. But what we're talking about is, is something that is basic, but you know, perhaps will help to uh, uh, prevent you know, traffic accidents or will help some young people to, you know, to, to see better and then be able to get more out of the education, right? Or, 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 or productive, productivity in factories or, or, or in farms or whatever, right? Yeah. You're touching on productivity there. I know you, you funded a randomized control trial in RCT, um, looking at the impact of vision on productivity. What did you find? Yes, that, that is, uh, I know that you, that's something that, that uh, you, you, you know a lot about the RCT well, and it's, uh, it's limitations. But, but in our case, um, uh, we uh, ran a, a trial in Assam, India, uh, amongst tea pickers. Uh, and, uh, we had uh, uh, identified 750 um, uh, uh, tea pickers, mostly women, who had poor vision, and uh, and so we did a, a, a separated two groups. You know, half of them got corrected vision, their vision corrected with glasses, and the other half did not. And the result through a, a tea picking season was that the the ones who had their vision corrected actually uh, uh, was 20, almost 22 percent on average, more productive than the ones who did not have their, their vision corrected, which is a huge amount, you know, of, in terms of productivity gain, right? That's like a day a week. So I think that was uh, uh, the first time there's a, the, the, a really strong evidence about the impact of, uh, of, of correcting blurry vision. We're not talking about blindness, just about blurry vision, which I think, um, you know, previously, the governments and policymakers thought, you know, this is a low priority item in the developing world, you know, kind of health agenda, right? There's lots of people, you know, uh, dying of AIDS or struggling with malaria, you know, poor malnutrition. Those seem like, you know, very kind of acute and more important issues compared to blurry vision. But actually what this, 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 uh, this research showed was that this is extremely high impact in terms of productivity. Mm. And when you're talking about productivity, immediately the word economics comes to mind. And tell us a little bit about that uh, that need, I guess, that you had to reframe the argument from a health challenge, a health issue, into an economic one. Um, were you surprised that that was required in the first instance? And then uh, were you surprised that indeed when you did frame it as an economic argument, People started to listen. Government started to listen. Yes. Uh, again, you hit the nail on the head. When when we first started, you know, uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's the blurry vision was something that was 
you know, at very low or probably close to the bottom of uh, of the priorities in terms of particularly developing world health, you know, uh, health ministries. Uh, you know, they think, you know, hey, we've got so many things we've got to deal with. Someone with blurry vision, they're not completely blind, so they're somewhat functional. And so, you know, that doesn't seem like a high priority item, right? So very luckily, I guess we, with the Clearly campaign, you know, we launched it uh, uh, three days, uh, about three days before the, the, the sustainable development goals were adopted by the United Nations. We actually put a, new, a newspaper ad in the New York Times, uh, you know, listing all the sustainable development goals. And we had a big red stamp that said oversight, you know, and, and, uh, and the oversight was vision, right? That, uh, and, and our case was that, you know, you cannot achieve, you know, at least six of those 17 sustainable development goals if there are 2.2 billion people struggling with poor vision, you know, you know, whether it's educational outcomes, productivity, even gender equality, right? Uh, uh, none of those can be achieved if people have blurry vision, if they do, if those are not corrected, right? And so, so, so that was how we how we reframe the issue, and uh, and because the, the 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 global community had had adopted the the, the sustainable development goals, and then once they saw uh, the, the research we did in Assam, and and uh, and then followed on by a a a a, a report from the WHO, uh, uh, that really got the the world community's attention, uh, and so. Uh, we were very, very excited and pleased that the UN then in last year in 2021 uh, adopted a resolution calling for vision for everyone, vision access to vision correction for everyone in the world. Uh, and they actually set a goal by 2030, which is very, very ambitious. It is. It is. Uh, that resolution, by the way, it's um, it must have felt it must have felt incredible to to see the UN actually. Uh, roll out such a resolution that aligns perfectly with uh, with what you're trying to achieve. Yes, it's it's really uh, you know for me it's a dream. You know, it really is a. I guess it's not the ultimate culmination of uh, uh, you know of my journey in vision, but it certainly was an incredibly major milestone uh, in in the journey in my 19 year journey to date. Right, uh, that that you know it was something that was an issue that was ignored. You know finally got you know kind of the, the 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 world's attention and and that it was you know recognized as as an issue that uh, that the world community needs to address right mm -hmm. now sticking going back a second into the some of the logistical challenges because I, I really like to understand the the problem um so we have the the training for those individuals who would be diagnosing someone and being able to pr provide a prescription what about the logistics of uh, the actual glasses uh, and getting those to people? Is and, and is that a what's that challenge look like? Yeah, it's a, it, it is it is a challenge. As I mentioned, you know, in the developing world, and this is probably where you know my uh, uh, the fact that I grew up in in Africa in a in a family that happened to have businesses in in, in developing world. So you know, we're very you know kind of probably more than most people aware of the challenges of of distribution and logistics and so so i uh, could understand that, the, that this is a this is something that 
that that would be a hindrance. And so, uh, uh, actually, one of the projects I I, I worked on uh, 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 and invested in was to develop adjustable power glasses. The idea being that one pair of glasses could 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 you know correct the vision uh, over a wide you know ra- range of, of powers, and uh, and so. So that simplified the distribution problem, and therefore the cost of distribution. And and so in in Rwanda, you know, we had one pair of glasses for basically you know uh, everyone who needed minus powers, you know, for 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 distance correction. And then we would have a very you know inexpensive um, reading glasses, but only in in three powers, right? Uh, plus one, plus two, plus three. And, uh, and so that really simplified the distribution issue and made it a lot more affordable and manageable for a very rudimentary distribution and logistics infrastructure. And I highly, highly commend the Rwandan government, and particularly the Ministry of Health, who you know, allowed us to use the, the, the logistics and, and uh, distribution capabilities uh, uh, that they have in this delivering, you know, medicines to to community clinics. So we piggybacked on that 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 capability to be able to 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 get our glasses uh, uh, out to the to the community health clinics. Yeah, is the uh, the Rwanda country case study, as it were? Is it something that you're noticing other ministries from other countries taking note of and trying to emulate, or at least learning from? Uh, Yes, in fact, uh, the, essentially the, the the protocol that, that that we use in Rwanda has now been adopted by WHO in Africa uh, as as the, the the way to 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 be able to deliver you know mass you know uh, vision correction and uh, uh, to to the to to the populations in Africa. So we're very very excited that uh, that 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 has already happened, and uh, and and so. So, so yes, there's a, I, you know, and Rwanda is such an amazing uh, 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 test, you know, kind of uh, uh, test platform for so many uh, uh, innovations, right? And, uh, and very, you know, I have to mention that very, very fortunately for us, this year's Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting will be in Rwanda uh, uh, in June. And, um, and uh, uh, we are very hopeful that, that, uh, that they will, that they will, you know, showcase uh, uh, some of the work we did uh, with on vision in, in the country. Fascinating. Now, as a philanthropist, this must all be incredibly intrinsically rewarding, I would say, right? I mean, we get into philanthropy because we want to make a difference. We want to change the world. And here you are not only achieving this, but in a tangible way where it goes beyond the anecdotal evidence, but you have RCTs behind you. You have the UN rolling out a resolution. The WHO is adopting a standard. Um, you know, if somebody's at the start of their philanthropic journey, those are the sort of things that somebody might have on the checklist of things to achieve, and not because they want to achieve them for the sake of it, but because they are indicative of work being well done. Um, tell us a little bit about that, your your philanthropic journey and, and, and actually... Uh, some of the insights that you might care to share with other uh, either experienced or nascent philanthropists who, who are listening to this show today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, it's uh, you know, you know, this is not for the faint of heart. You know, Moonshot philanthropy, number one, is not for the faint of heart. You know, just going on these, you know, uh, decade-long journeys you know, is not for everybody. I mean, I, I think up front, we got to say that. But nevertheless, I think, you know, it's, as you said, it has been incredibly rewarding uh, uh, for me and for my family uh, to, 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 to see the progress that, that has been made, right? But this, this progress also was really, you know, you can imagine, not easy. Uh, uh, you know, when I started, you know, it, it's very much that it, it's because it, this, this issue resonated with me. As I mentioned, every morning I get up, my vision is blurry. I put on my glasses and my world changes. And, and, you know, for me personally, this happened when, you know, my, I did not even know that I had a vision problem uh, until I went you know, at the age of about 15 and a half. I was living in, you know, going to high school in upstate New York. And then, um, and, and to, I was very keen in those days to, to get a driver's license, right? And the first thing make you do is uh, go take a driving test, uh, an eye test, right? And, uh, and, and I failed that. And that's when I figured that I realized that I had a, a problem with my eyes and then, you know, got my glasses and like, whoa, what's all this, you know? <laughs> and uh, so, so, you know, from that, from that age on, you know, I mean, this is, this is, this is so personal to me. And, uh, and so, you know, during my journey along the way, you can imagine there were a lot of times when things didn't work out. You know, I knew very little, you know, I knew, in fact, nothing about the you know the 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 optical business and and uh, and uh, you know well, even the development agenda or anything like that right and uh, and so you know it was uh, very very daunting and made lots of mistakes uh, uh, did a lot of um, you know in retrospect you might say dumb things right go down you know kind of dead ends and whatever but nevertheless you know and it's of course that's painful failure and setbacks are painful, right? Uh, and, and, and many times I, along the journey, I wonder, you know, is it time to give it up, right? You know, is it too much of a, a barrier that, uh, and that we cannot, you know, break through? Uh, uh, and what sustained me through all those times was this, just the fact that when I take my glasses off, you know, I, it's blurry. And when I put them on, I'm so much more productive and functional. And so that kind of really allowed me to, to, to power through, right? Those, uh, and that perseverance, you know, the combination of taking risks, you know, funding things out of the norm, you know, like, like Rwanda, you know, when we went to Rwanda, you know, in fact, I, I said to my team, you know, every, you know, the, the, the professional community tells us it can't be done. The development community tells us, can, but it just doesn't feel right to me that it can't be done. So let's take a pick a country, let's try it. And maybe along the way, if we do fail or when we do fail, we will understand why is it that we failed, right? Uh, but, you know, blessings, you know, that, that we actually did, you know, we had a lot of you know, barriers in our journey in Rwanda, but we were able to break through and ultimately, you know, uh, succeed. And uh, so, so that was incredibly gratifying in itself right uh, uh but it was it was a lot of lot of challenges we had to face but you know in a way you know i think people business people who are used to tackling change and and, and you know being told no you know that's i guess that's a sign of 
you know, a, a good entrepreneur is, is, is being able to, you know, say, no, no, not take no, right? You know, and, and, and say, you know, turn a no into ultimately a yes. <laughs> and so, 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 you know, again, so this is not a journey for the faint-hearted, for people who don't want to, but, but you know, being able to make such a difference, you know, uh, 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 is ultimately, as you said, is, is, is so incredibly gratifying. And I think it's, it's important. This is what needs to be done uh, for us to have the breakthroughs that are needed in so many of the challenges we have in the world today, you know, all the, you know, and, and they can big challenges, small challenges, but to make progress to real progress, uh, 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 in, in the social and environmental uh, arena, I think, you know, we need, uh, uh, high net worth philanthropists who are able to say, Hey, I, there's an issue that I'm passionate about and I will keep going and, uh, and, and try different things. And, Ultimately, you know, the way the, a, a, a phrase that I've coined is the, for moonshot philanthropists, right? What, uh, what, we're, what we're ultimately doing is we are absorbing failure. We're privatizing failure, right? And we're socializing successes. You know, when things don't work, we absorb, you know, the cost and the, I guess, the psychic pain of failure, you know. But when uh, it succeeds, you know, we share that with the world, right? And, and, and so, so that is, a, that, is the, that is the mantra, I think, for, for Moonshot Philanthropy, socializing, uh, uh, sorry, privatizing failure and socializing success. I like it. I like it. Now, I know many people are inspired by your work. Um, who inspired you? Who, who, who did you look up to when, when people were saying no to you? Well, I have to say, I, I, I think my... You know, early inspiration very much was uh, was was the work that Bill Gates started with malaria. You know, in, in those, I mean, it's it's uh, it, you know, and and subsequently, of course, he's he's now you know tackling many issues uh, in in amazingly you know uh, 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 productive ways, right? And uh, and of course, you know, those again, he's gone on many you know multi-decade journeys, right? And some may, 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 he may, he may get to a point where either because, you know, he gets too old and he can't continue or unlikely to happen, but his money runs out. Right. So that's always a, those are always conditions that would stop our journey. But, uh, but, but uh, 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 I think if you, you know, his, his inspiration, you know, just being able to tackle, you know, an issue like malaria for, 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 for so, so many years. Right. And continue to do so uh, uh, very much was an inspiration to me. And and again, when I when things weren't working out for me, it's like, you know, did, does Bill Gates give up? No, you know. So why am I giving up? So 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 I think that's a and and I also have to say that you know I I, I I've been very very uh, highly influenced by the you know multi generational work of the Rockefeller family. Right. I mean, they are actually you know of course they're well known. But you know, people really, for the most part, do not know how much they have of an impact they've made in so many you know issues, uh, uh, from education to to medical breakthroughs to so many other things, right? And yet, you know, uh, uh, it's not something that that they they necessarily trumpet that people might associate those successes to the to the Rockefeller family, 
But I think that it's a it's a multi generational kind of cultural thing for the family, and and to me that would be uh, uh, something if 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 my future generations are inspired by the work that I've done on vision, uh, uh, that uh, that then they then carry on and and find their own path, you know passionate passion issues to tackle. That to me would be a very very good outcome for for the for my work. Absolutely. What's the um, what's the key takeaway that you'd love for the audience to keep in mind after they finish listening to today's episode? Well, I think the key the key takeaway is you know if 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 you if you are uh, uh, you know so blessed as I am to 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 have the resources available and you have that passion you know to I would say you know simply to go for it you know. And and yeah, damn as they say, damn the torpedoes. You know, you you just keep going, right? And and uh, you know, the world, you know, you know, the reason, you know, there are reasons why these issues, you know, are challenging and haven't been solved. If it was simple, it would have been done, right? So you know, but I think we in the high net worth philanthropic community, you know, we are the only ones really who have the resources and to be able to commit to things. That are high risk, right, and high, high, have high uh, uh, possibilities of failure. But failure, you know, in my mind is, is 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 you know, you know, it's not something to be ashamed of. It's a uh, you know what I when something doesn't work, when there are setbacks and failure, you know, my approach is okay. You know, why did this fail? And is there a way to engineer or, or rethink around think around a way to solve this? And, and break through that you know barrier right and and uh, and 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 so you know that's been the you know a journey and as you break through these barriers you know your learning goes much higher so whereas I, when i started on my journey 19 years ago knowing very little nothing you know about this issue you know i would say that i'm you know i'm very uh, 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 gratified that people now look to me as an expert in this in this area right and and I even though I still today you know I'm not you know know very little about the technical parts of of of, of glasses and and optics and eyes and so forth, but uh, but but because I've been per- persevering in this in this is in this issue that uh, that that I actually do I guess have this domain expertise to be able to share with the with the world. I love it. I love it, James. Thank you so very much for joining me and joining us on the Do One Better podcast today. I love the uh, the social entrepreneurial spirit, the perseverance, the positive outlook, and that can-do attitude, which I think is serving our planet very nicely. Thank you so much. Perfect, and that's a wrap. Thanks very much for tuning in, as always. You've been listening to a great chat with James Chen, philanthropist and passionate advocate of affordable eye care across the world. Thanks so much for tuning in. As always, please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already. Do share with your friends, family, and colleagues. It makes a huge difference indeed. And leave us a rating and a review as well. It helps others to find the show. For information about this episode and more than 150 other interviews with remarkable thought leaders in the field of philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship, just visit our website at liji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I.org. Many thanks for tuning in, and I'll catch you next week.